everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for 2019. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to stop singing these because people are just gonna go, "What? What are you singing for?" So <laughs> it's it's what we call a quick start on the kickstart episode, and a quick start on a kickstart episode is when somebody who is about to launch their Kickstarter or has indeed <laughs> launched their Kickstarter comes on the show to talk to us. Now sometimes we organise these things really, really quickly and then sometimes it takes a little while for you to organise and then you find out that the actual Kickstarter is going on Tuesday. So, I don't know. (laughs) So, (laughs) a a gentleman by the name of James Van Niekerk got in contact with us last year and said, I'm going to be bringing my game to Kickstarter and it's kind of said, what's it called? And he went, it's called Minions of Mordak. And I went, that sounds fantastic. So he went to kind of organise it on the show. And then he came back and says, actually, I ran into somebody else. And they're going to be helping me with the game. I was like, and his name's changed. So, as I say, joining me is James Van Niekirk. Um So, hello, James. Hello. You nailed the pronunciation. That's because I've, I've written out phonetically. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I was really, really worried. You know, it's like there's nothing worse than you sitting there going, yeah, just butcher, butcher my name once more. Butcher it. No, butcher my name again. Just do it. I've heard it, you know? heard it butchered a thousand ways. It's, I, it's, it's quite sad, but you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I like it very, 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 very much. Um, the reason that we do these type of episodes is because... Um, Basically, we like to speak to people who are putting their projects out there. We have recently finished our own Kickstarter, so we know how all the fun and games involved in that type oh, yes. of business. So um, it's always a good idea to get people on to help them spread the word about their project. Um, and the other reason is um, I'm quite nosy and I like <laughs> to speak to people and I like to find out about their kind of story and their journey and stuff like that so um james you want to before we jump into um the multiple names of your yeah. game um do you want to tell us just you know a little a little bit about how you kind of got into the hobby in the first place sure um i mean i've been playing games forever but aside from the normal gateway games you know all the monopolies and that that i played with my siblings mm-hmm. uh there was a moment when my brother bought a used set of Epic 40,000 from a neighbor, but he didn't buy a rule book. So all we had was sort of this little <laughs> like Titan stat card for one of the Titans from that game. I don't know if you know Epic from yeah. Warhammer. Yeah. Yeah. 
so anyways, we just kind of made up a game around that Titan stat card, and we all thought it was the coolest. And uh, and then we got into a di- bunch of different Games Workshop titles from there. Do you and still do you still know how to play the kind of that kind of game? If we kind of the put, one we made up, yeah. Uh, well, you know what? When I say we made up rules, that's with a heavy quotation. We were young enough that it was really just kind of like rolling dice, and then somebody decided what happened. <laughs> it was like Calvin Ball from Calvin and Hobbes or something like that. <laughs> exactly. It's like I've rolled a six. That means everybody has to fight backwards. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. exactly what it was. That sounds fan- <laughs> that sounds kind of fantastic. Um, did you have? I mean, have you got? Um, did you have a few games kind of growing up then, or did you get access to a lot of games, or, or was that kind of oh, yeah. that kind of keep you going for a while? No, we um, we eventually got into Warhammer Forty Thousand, so mm-hmm. we played that a lot. Um, I played a, a lot of Mordheim with my friends, mm-hmm. um, and then we eventually in high school got into D and D and other RPG games. What uh, what kind of RPG stuff were you playing? Then? Just whatever you could get your hands on. Mostly D&D. We played a little bit of Vampire the Masquerade oh, right. at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I think we played, yeah, we played Warhammer Roleplay a little bit, but it's mostly been D&D 3.5. Was that, that wasn't, that was the, that wasn't the version that folk didn't like. That was still staying in the real, real kind of stats. That wasn't before they kind of turned to the dark side and made it all kind of complicated and stuff like that, isn't it? Uh, well, I think version four was the one that people kind of lashed yeah, back against. Yeah. And then they all were like, "We're sticking with three point five. And then the latest version, I think everybody is has accepted. Yeah, yeah. Did you <sighs> yeah. St- did you stick with three point five then? We have mostly because we own all the books for it, so we've oh. just never invested in in updating them. And what what kind of character would you normally roll? I roll sorcerer usually. All right. Okay. Usually I spend our sessions kind of like combing over my spells, Mm -hmm. being like, what would be funny in this given situation? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, oh, we could um, use a spell to help break down that door that's um, that's keeping us from from dying. Or I could make everybody's clothes float, you know? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Priorities, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, At that time, I mean, obviously... um, D and D itself kind of itself kind of helps facilitate people using their kind of imagination and the beginning of their kind of design skills. So was that you know with you kind of moving into D and D was that were you kind of making up your own scenarios at kind of that time when you were playing that then? You mean was that sort of where I got into game design? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say that. Um, I suppose what happened was. Uh, I made a Western campaign based on D&D systems. Uh-huh. And then it was like a Wild West campaign that I had a few kind of modulated rules for. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my friends had like such a good time with the role playing of it. And they wrote these really fun characters that I wound up like working on a comic based on that campaign. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I worked on that comic for a couple of years, but kind of got burnt out on the idea that of like making a comic book because it is a, a huge amount of work <laughs> as an artist. Uh, were you were you, yeah. doing, you were doing all the art yourself? Because I guess it should I be was, mentioned yeah. at this time that you you kind of you're you kind of an artist as well as kind of like a a kind of a games designer. So yeah, uh, I mean, is the struggle with the comic book side of things is that you 
you know exactly where you want it to go, but it's just it's going to take kind of 12 pages for it to get from one place to another, and you've got to draw out kind of all those 10, 10 to yeah. 12 pages kind of thing, yeah. There's a, there's a crazy amount of, like, skill that goes into just basically being efficient with how you tell a story in a comic. Because mm-hmm. you, like, you don't want to spend 12 panels on something that you could tell in one panel. So you're sort of budgeting art to story, and the more you can kind of tell a story with uh, at the same time mm-hmm. as showing what's happening, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of try and save that way. But I think what I realized after getting 25 pages into my comic, which wasn't very far, was that it was kind of a, a huge endeavor. Anyways, from there, I kind of like, I wanted a creative sort of side project, and I eventually landed on a board game because I had sort of done a few freelance board games and I kind of knew it was a manageable amount of work. Yeah. Uh, of course, then I ended up designing a board game that had over a hundred different unique pieces of art in it <laughs> and all these different things. So I didn't really go the easy did. route. It's <laughs> just like, you don't want to have all these hundred pieces of things and they're looking all the same. I mean, no, there's got to be a not. differentiator. And, it, and look at it this way. It's kind of like your first game. So you don't want, you want to create a right impression. So if that oh, yeah. means creating, obviously, if doing the amount of work that would have probably created you two comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's cool. I mean, I've, you obviously, you sent me the kind of the pictures um, for kind of um, Valor and Villainy, Minions of mm-hmm. Mordak. Um, and did you, did you do all of the art on this then? I did. <laughs> Crazy as it is, I've been working on it for three years or over oh. three years now. So it's been a long haul. <laughs> is it? Um, were you working by? Were you working by yourself? Was there anybody else you were kind of working beside as you were kind of creating it? I have been doing all of the art and game design on my own, but I do have a core group of playtesters and some game developers that I've worked with along the way. Okay. Um, and then lately now, uh, with Skybound Games being involved, we've added a few other people to the roster who are working on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have a, uh, someone who's sculpting miniatures for us and some uh, someone who's helped us with video work and that sort of thing for the campaign. Did you... Um, I'm just looking at this. Is this all... Do you work on a, com- do you work on a computer when you're doing this? Is some of this kind of like... Um, painted as well because it all looks a ticket is all all digital stuff that you've done yeah yeah for the most part um i'll usually start with a sketch of some kind but then eventually it makes it onto the computer and this game uses a lot of 3d models and renders as part of the workflow Uh okay so then i'll take like a really preliminary 3d model i'll do some renders of it with good lighting and then i'll kind of i'll do what i call a paint over on top of that which is basically just yeah you you then have sort of an informed base for your painting that you then do on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like you're taking a... You take a 3D model, you see exactly how the lighting hits, and then you almost kind of use that in a 2D sense to then paint the model so you still maintain the 3D aspects, but it looks kind of 2D. Yeah. And it's really helped now that we're actually making miniatures for the game because uh. now there's... There's these 3D bases for all the poses that my characters are in, and we've definitely kind of gotten a leg up on making miniatures out of that. Is this what you do for a living? Are you an artist for a living then, James? I am, yeah. I I work at a place called Complex Games in Winnipeg in Canada. Oh, right, okay. 
and so we do mobile and PC games. What kind of stuff do you do? Because this, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to obviously put some links in the show notes so that everybody can see this artwork. But you've really got to see the stuff. You know, y'all should be jealous just now because the artwork that I'm staring at with these two old and tired eyes because it's this. Um, it's some really, really good stuff. I really, really like the kind of the, the vibe of it. I'm getting almost um, a slight blizzard type feel with some of the yeah. art that's there. Yeah, just definitely, just the way the kind of a solid um, kind of character models. I'm a, I'm a bit of a connoisseur of the old, the kind of the art stuff. So I can appreciate, I appreciate the amount of work that goes into a kind of a good piece of art because I do some art kind of myself but this stuff is just oh nice this stuff is really really good did that um with okay with you doing the kind of the art yourself did you were you kind of more self-critical of the pieces that you're putting out there did you did you end up did you have to be kind of more disciplined with yourself and say look we have to. This has to be finished. You have to press the save button, and then you have to save that file, and then it kind of has to be done. I mean, with you being an artist and with you kind of continually having the ability to be able to go in and tinker, did you? As I say, did you have to show a bit of discipline to say to actually draw a line under a character once you'd finished it, so you didn't continually go back and go, you know, kind of change things? Yeah, you know what I I would usually kind of. For each, each of the characters, I have like a few steps that I go through mm-hmm. and I would sort of benchmark an amount of time that I have for those steps. Mm-hmm. And basically when that, I wasn't timing myself, but basically when my evening ran up, I would be like, all right, let's call it done. I would show it to a few people. And if there was any feedback that uh, I could work in, I would still do that. But I actually, in general, I haven't gone back and like reworked anybody from the game, all the sort of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh I've kind of just stuck to. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Did that um, did that make it easier when you were kind of like play testing and prototyping the game? That when people, because normally um, <clears throat> when people have been prototyping or getting people to play test games, usually the art is like 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 a placeholder. Right. Yeah. Did it did it kind of make the game feel more feel more real? I'm assuming that what you did is you. You produced all the kind of the art cards and, and everything like that when you were doing the kind of the preliminary kind of play testing just to give people a proper feel of the game. So it sort of happened back and forth. I would do a little bit of game design and then a little bit of artwork and then mm-hmm. a little bit of game design uh, because I didn't want to do artwork for anything that might not make it into the final game. So, But once I kind of knew my cast of characters, I started just chipping away at them one character at a time. Mm-hmm. And... So I did have temp art to begin with, with prototypes, but I slowly kind of added my own artwork until all of it is is my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that, like, having the good artwork has, like, totally helped me fill tables with players whenever I bring it out. Because um, it's just people kind of have something they can look at and get excited about. I would say even just, like, having a few characters done already kind of made a difference where people would see where where I was going with it, even if it wasn't all up to a certain level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me, um, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, Ravage, Dungeons of Plunder, which mm-hmm. a friend of the show, Ian, you know, Ian Schofield. Yeah, I actually, I followed that project a lot. I, he, he's kind of doing a similar thing to me, Ian, 
he's he's an artist and a game designer as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of yeah, getting the same vibe. I think it's 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 um yeah it's it's quite um it's quite um it's cool. And also, I, as I say, I appreciate if you put this amount of work into it. I, I'm not. I know, like churning out good art isn't just. You don't just say right, okay. I'm I'm just going to put the kettle on, finish this art, <laughs> and then by the time the kettle's boiled, the art will be finished, and then I can go and do something else. Because I'm looking at say the. Um, and this will all become apparent when everybody's like going, he's just trying to describe things that nobody else can actually see. What are you doing, <laughs> you actual Muppet? But basically on the ma- <laughs> on the main picture of the game, you have all of the art card, character cards kind of standing up at the back. And there is a grid of about five by five kind of tiles. And if you, if you, rem- if you maybe um, imagine like say something like... Um, Sim City, or I think Settlers, or any of those kind of original kind of computer games, where you get kind of like tiny little kind of hamlets. If you look at the games, the the kind of the real time strategy games that you get on mobile phones and stuff like that, where you get kind of tiny units and tiny, you know, the ones you got to press buttons and get gold. This is what I'm talking about. That you kind of you've got an entire kind of like set of tiles, which the artwork on that is equally kind of really really kind of cool. Um, I will make sure that Thanks. there's a picture in the show notes because otherwise folk are just going to go, he's he's flipped 2019 <laughs> and he's gone and he's just gone. We, we need him back. We need him back. Um, where'd the idea for, for, um, for the game come from? Yeah, so I guess earlier I mentioned I played a lot of different Games Workshop games. Uh, and I, as an artist, I do like to work in my spare time, but I d- I've always sort of found that I'm not just someone who picks up a pencil and draws. Mm-hmm. Like I need, I need a goal. So I, I like to kind of make projects and um, yeah. So basically I decided that making a game was something I wanted to do. And then I really love RPG games all around. And I kind of wanted to make one that, uh, so I initially was inspired by Mordheim and some of the, like uh, in the RPG elements that that game has. Yeah. But it, this game isn't about like a party of guys. You only get one guy. Um, I kind of just, I really wanted to make an RPG game that gave you like a lot of level up satisfaction. So you weren't just like waiting for big level, like your character to level once or twice during the game, your character levels like every turn to some degree and you always get to kind of tinker with them. And yeah, yeah, I just kind of wanted that sense that like, Oh, every turn I'm progressing, every turn I'm earning permanent level ups. And then also like picking up treasures and, kind of capturing that the things that I love about D&D into a, like a one-time sit-down play session. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, have you had to kind of, have you stripped anything out from the original vision that you had? Um, yes, for sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously coming from a role-playing kind of background kind of thing, I bet there was a lot of, yeah. there was probably stats for everything. Um, That's a fun Fun question to go back and talk about some of the things that didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. The, I mean, there was at one point because in the, in my game, you're, you're either playing as the evil wizard trying to destroy the world or you're playing as a band of heroes trying to stop that from happening. Yeah. And so originally I sort of had the evil wizard summons these minions and there was a stat diplomacy the heroes could use to try and like turn them on to the hero side. So. I kind of fought over so many versions to try and keep that as a hero stat, uh, in addition to all the other combat stats the heroes could have. But it just like, uh, 
it was never smooth. It never was easily explainable to players. And it just, I eventually cut it, <laughs> uh, yeah. which was for the better. Yeah. I think if you're playing used to kind of a normal D&D campaign, there's certain things that you can you can do. I mean, um, famously in my last D&D campaign, I managed to, through the power of charisma and animal, 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 what? <laughs> animal husbandry, what? I managed to persuade an owl bear that they liked me. Um, <laughs> so I ended up with an owl bear um, following oh, us about for a lot of the campaign. It obviously completely wrecked the balance of the rest of the campaign. Um, <laughs> for for what you know, for the rest that we kind of we played because whenever we were in a pickle, I was just like, I just just send in the owl bear, and it's like you cannot send in the owl bear every time there is an issue, and it's like, why not? Owl bear gets stuff done, and that's how it happened. But yeah. I know, um, but yeah, what well, I mean. So you removed that. So I take it was the idea that people, instead of fighting the bad guys, they could go like, hey. And the bad guys would go, hey. And they'd go, hey. And they'd go, hey. And then they would just like follow you about and kind of fight along your side and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, what happened... So the monsters in Minions of Mordak, uh, they have two sides, sort of a wounded and a fresh side. Mm -hmm. And when you deal them damage, if you deal them enough, you get to flip them over and now they stay on their wounded side. And that's like how... And then they have a different life total on the the second side. Cool. But that was sort of an idea that I arrived at later in development. I guess earlier on, the double-sided nature of the card was actually to indicate whose team they were fighting for. Oh, right, okay. It, that was sort of where the diplomacy, like uh, taking monsters back, kind of came into play. <clears throat> so you could kind of roll against their health, and if you beat them with your leadership stat, you would kind of flip them over, and now they were on be on your team. But it just kind of it was a messy thing in in execution, and kind of added a lot to explain a lot of fringe cases. I, I don't think I've. <sighs> Apart, as I say, apart from D and I don't know if I've seen that in an actual game. As in, I think you know, in all the kind of the dungeon crawlers I've played, I don't think I've seen the option where you can actually say, "Well, can we, can we be friendly to these people, <laughs> or can we intimidate them, or can we kind of influence them to kind of fight on my side?" It'd be an interesting. Is it something you could bring in as kind of like maybe an expansion? To the game. Yeah, I've thought about it, and I've also thought about certain like charm creature spells and things like that that let yeah. you take actions as the enemies, but not like permanently control them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's some of that, and I mean, the idea of the heroes getting companions is still in the game. So the ranger character has a horse who she can kind of summon onto the battlefield to run around and hoof people or pick up treasures for her and <laughs> things like that. Hoof <laughs> people. <laughs> oh yeah, just a, the, <laughs> just, just a hor- You say that, and all I'm thinking about is tangled with a big, <laughs> the big horse. That's exactly just it. Walking up and just smashing people apart. Well, I had a game where the the horse was the MVP for sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, ranger that'd be, that'd be awesome. The ranger kept uh, whiffing their bow rolls, and then their horse would go and just like run up and hoof the thing, and it just like. It just always worked. It was just uh, fate of the dice. I yeah, guess. just but, like the fact that this kind of angry-looking horse just going about, just getting stuff done. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> panda. I'm just anxious. Yeah. Come on, where are we going? Yeah. 
taking out just everything and anybody. Um, <laughs> in terms of the gameplay, mm-hmm. how do you play it? Because I think it looks hidden tiles. Well, it doesn't. It looks like you're doing some exploring. You lay out your kind of your twenty-five tiles. I'm guessing face down. Mm-hmm. You do a bit of exploration. You turn things over. So you kind of yeah. it's a bit it's a bit hero quest, isn't it? Because I mean, oh, the whole, sure. I mean the whole point of hero quest is you were you you knew what was kind of happening, whereas the you know that you knew what was happening if you were the dungeon master, but you didn't know if you were what you were happening if you were the heroes. You had to basically go on a kind of an explore tile and see what was kind of see what was kind of there and see what was kind of kicking about as well. Um, mm-hmm. Does the dun- does the evil overlord do they have access to the to see what should be on the tiles or are they as in the dark as you are as a hero? So they so the map holds its secrets and nobody gets to actually see them. Oh, cool. Um, but like as the map gets flipped over, things are going to happen that will surprise both the wizard and the heroes. Um, however, if monsters get revealed, because there's a lot of monsters hidden in the map, then they become the wizard's monsters to control. All right. And sometimes, sometimes there's ambushes, so then the wizard gets to kind of interrupt the hero's turn and uh, act with a monster right away that appears. So there's sort of um, some hidden wrenches that get thrown into their plans that's kind of cool you mentioned then, I mean um, do they get to then I mean I take it you're talking about them kind of like building stats and building character do they get mm-hmm. the ability to kind of act against these sudden surprise attacks and things like that as well then? yeah there there are some treasures in the game because that's another aspect is you find treasure and you can equip it each of your characters mm-hmm. has sort of three slots that they can slide cards into Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some treasures that allow you to ignore the ambush effect uh, when it comes up, or and things like that. Okay. So how does it? How mm-hmm. do you actually play? The, how do you actually play the game? Because I've asked, and then I've you know taken you down a tangent, and then I'm asking again. Sure. And I'll probably take you down a different tangent. Uh, so how, everybody... how do you play? How would you play around? Uh, so you have action points that you spend throughout your turn and you can uh-huh. move around with those. Uh, but then you also have these combat stats and each of the heroes has three combat stats and they're melee, ranged, and magic. So then on those stats, you have a row of dice uh, and the dice go from white to yellow to red being worst, second best, best. Mm-hmm. And so white dice will be half the time zeros and half the time ones. But red dice are always either a one or a two. So basically, as you level up your dice, you have a higher threshold of numbers you can be hitting, but also your dice become more reliable and less likely to fail. Okay. So it's not like it's not like every die roll is a 50-50. There's a lot of times you go into a roll with a guaranteed success um, or that you're just hoping for like a few successes to be able to hit a high number. Okay. Um, so how it ends up happening is, say you've got uh, five red dice on your melee and you're going to melee attack somebody, uh, you would roll all those dice and total up the numbers and they'll all be either ones or twos. Uh, and then your total you take and you compare it to the health that the monster has. So monsters will have a top value for their total health and a bottom value for their wound value. Mm-hmm. And you have, to meet, you have to meet one or the other or you basically didn't make it. Um, and the low-level monsters will have like 
a one or a two for those values, but the highest level monsters might have a uh, 15. Wow. Um, so at a certain point in the game, you start needing to combo with your allies in order to hit those high numbers or get really good gear or spells that kind of uh, help you roll higher. And mm-hmm. so there's a good amount of teamwork involved, uh, especially with uh, higher player counts. Okay. Okay. Is it, um, was it difficult to balance so that people could play, I mean, a two player big game versus, say, like maybe a, a four a four player game? Did you have to take that into consideration to make sure that, you know, people could go ahead and they could beat every encounter that they meet? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of play testing that went into that for sure. And I have like a spreadsheet of game data that I've recorded on various player accounts okay. to try and kind of catalog it all mm-hmm. um but the main system that the game uses is um so xp amounts that you gain vary depending on player count so that's one balancing measure i have so if you're playing with five players so every xp you earn is shared there's no like selfish oh i got the kill so i get the xp for this guy it's full uh-huh. cooperative for you and your teammates okay um but basically what happens is in a five-player game you might kill 10 monsters in a turn, say, that would be a really big turn, but um, all those monsters are worth a value, and that all gets pooled up together, and then a chart just sort of tells you what the number of XP everybody earns this turn is. Uh, So I can kind of balance the number of monsters that players are tending to kill to the amount of XP that I kind of want players to be earning on a given turn Mm -hmm. and balance things out that way. Okay. And then the game board itself also has player count specific icons on it that you kind of use only depending on whether you have five players sitting at the table or two players. Uh, so then in a two player game, I can make there be less monsters that appear so that the the lone hero still stands a chance against the wizard. So is that not if, is that with the on the backs of the cards? I notice there's like ones, twos, and threes. Is that what that is that what that comes down to? On, uh, on the backs of which cards? Sorry? On the back of the the tiles, the floor tiles. I noticed that some of the symbols have got a one, some of them have yeah. got a two, and some of them have got a three. Is that is that kind of denoting kind Those of like the player? player. Kind of? Yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, cool. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's kind of important. You know, kind of getting the kind of the balancing right. The, surprisingly enough, the most recent place I seen a similar system in place was when we were playing. Um, Go nuts for donuts, okay. and at the at the beginning of the game, you kind of you remove all of the cards which are, um, you know, not suitable for kind of like your player count. So you you take your player count and you remove all the cards which are kind of like above that player count, and it kind of it's to kind of balance the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but also make sure that it's, you know everybody has a fun time, and it's also easy to kind of keep kind of keep playing. There's obviously a big difference between um ice donuts and collecting treasure from the eye of zurg but you know it's just you know <laughs> one of these kind of one of the one of these things um you mentioned when we're talking about the art you mentioned talking about obviously the the um the miniature side of mm-hmm. things um that creeps into kind of costs for the games did the did the miniature side of things, was that always something that was on the back burner or did that really kind of come into its place when kind of Skybound kind of got involved? Yeah, um, when I was thinking about self-publishing, I just sort of decided that I wouldn't do miniatures on the grounds of it was my first 
uh, mm-hmm. project and I wanted to play it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have always loved miniatures. The game is really kind of perfect for them. Uh, so then when I ended up showing it to Skybound, they were just really excited about the idea of doing them. Um, so their plan right now is that the game going to retail will have standees. Oh, right. uh, but, but the deluxe version on Kickstarter will have all the miniatures and they're really cool. I'm, as a longtime Warhammer fan, it's kind of like a childhood dream that I would have a miniature made of my characters. So <laughs> it's so much fun to see them getting created. That must be really cool, though. It must be like you're showing showing. I mean, obviously, do you take kind of like any excuse to show somebody? So if you're at the store picking up a, you know, picking up a quarter of milk or something like that, and you're yeah. just saying, "Ah, oh, I think I've got exact um, exact change in my in my jacket. Um, just give me," and you start rummaging around your pockets. So you put your <laughs> keys down in the car, and you go, and you end up putting a miniature, a couple of miniatures. Oh, yeah. goes, oh, 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 sorry, those are. Oh, I'm so embarrassed because those are from my game. Do you want to have a closer look? <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry, officer. Yes, um, I've got my license and registration here somewhere, but um, would you like to... You know? I was going to set these miniatures aside to grab exactly. it first. <laughs> you know? Yes, doctor, I can certainly give you her medication. It's in... Oh, no, that's not the jar that contains medication. That's the jar that contains these <laughs> fabulous miniatures from my from my game. Um, and, you know, you could just kill that joke, which I already have. Um, how did you get talking to Skybound? I mean, I know, I know, um, <clears throat> I know Skybound um, through the, the Chuck Norris of board gaming... <laughs> Mr. James Hudson, who obviously drew City Games, and then he moved over to um, to Skybound, um, and obviously still, you know, working with kind of Druid City. But how did that? How did mm-hmm. you kind of get involved? I mean, were you actively looking for a publisher, or was it just you know one of these things that happened? It was definitely one of these things. Uh, so I went to Gen Con of last summer, mm-hmm. and I was planning at that time to self-publish and launch Kickstarter in October, so I was just sort of there to build hype. Um, and I guess as I was there and I was walking around the floor and observing everything going on, I kind of, it dawned on me what it meant, like after all the work I'd put in doing the game design and the artwork, uh, and I knew Kickstarter was going to be a big challenge, but then it was like, even if I have a successful Kickstarter, the future of what happens after that was just sort of overwhelming to me uh, because it meant, you know, now I have a small business, now I'm going mm-hmm. to conventions to sell all the games I've produced. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just was trying to be realistic about what I'm capable of all on my own. Um, so then I would have been more proactive about setting up meetings with publishers if I had sort of planned to do this, but yeah. I hadn't done that. And I just was like, you know what? I'm here, and so are all the other publishers in the industry, so I'm going to pitch a few. Yeah. And and um, I had made a bunch of different prototypes with the intent to kind of give them to reviewers and stuff like that. So I had them with me. And then um, James Hudson was a big personality on the internet I was aware of, and I really loved what he did with uh, Grim Forest and yeah. his other games. Uh, so I approached him first, and he was really excited about it. And uh, I actually ended up not approaching any other publishers, really. We just had really good conversations, and we playtested the game together over that weekend, and uh, yeah, things moved forward from there. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's one of those things. It's like if you're going to pitch to anybody, if you pitch to James Hudson, you don't 
probably worry about kind of anybody <laughs> else, especially if they like the game. Because the I mean, um, like Guard- Guardians Call, um, one of the ones mm-hmm. that they did, um, that's coming out to fulfilment. I think it's either on its way or it's going to be kind of like in the next couple of weeks. And and this, the presentation of their game so far has been um, very very strong. I think the next yeah, one I'm looking. I think the next one I'm looking out for is was it Wonderland War? That I one's think? coming in March, I think, or May maybe. But that's coming yeah. up. Uh, yeah, that looks great too. And Tidal Blades just uh, landed. That was a big yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you get a chance because um, you're working with them now? Um, do you get a chance to kind of see these games kind of? In the flesh, in the cardboard, I suppose would be a better phrase. But have you have you had a chance to kind of look at things like Wonderland War or, you know, um, Tidal Blades? Have you seen them yourself? Uh, well, in so much as I am working with them, they're yeah. in California and I'm oh, in yeah. Canada, so <laughs> there's yeah, a bit of I a gap suppose. distance between us. Uh, yeah. So no, it's I, not I just haven't a bus actually. Trip, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have been. In, Ten, uh, like enthusiastically watching all their posts about all their games, but that's probably the stuff that you've seen as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hand it over, because obviously you've been working on this for some time, mm-hmm. did they come back with kind of like feedback with any changes that they suggested they wanted to make? Uh, well, I guess when I approached them, I had already hired Waitress Games, so like J.R. Honeycutt and Brian Neff, uh, they had done game development with me on the on the title, and so we had done a round of like back and forth iterations. I think they worked out a lot of the kinks of the game already at that point. So by the mm-hmm. time Skybound saw it, it was pretty polished, and and they agreed that there wasn't actually that much that they wanted to change. So we've made some adjustments, especially to like the presentation of the components, and yeah, uh, they've made improvements to the quality and the size of some of the pieces, but. Uh, the gameplay has stayed more or less how it was when I approached them. And has your um, has your approach with regards to Kickstarter? Are you just kind of letting them take the lead on Kickstarter about kind of what the suggestion should be for like, I mean, the funding target would have been a financial discussion, but things like stretch goals and things like that. I mean, normally what happens in a stretch goals is that you have a kind of a plan of attack. And then it's a case of, oh, well, we'll get the artist kind of involved. Have you basically said, well, you know, have you said to them, I'd like to continue to do the art on the rest of the project, if kind of possible? Yeah. Um, so they have, um, I guess I, I, am, I can't say any of the details of what we've worked out, but we're basically partnering this campaign. Just whisper it to me, James. No deal. <laughs> no deal we're here. partners, though. So yeah. we're both invested and we're both excited about this. And uh, so I'm working on the uh, the artwork and uh, for the campaign and the campaign page, and they are as well. So they've they've got a video guy who's doing a lot of the uh, the Kickstarter video and that sort of thing. Yeah. They have a miniature sculptor, and we're working together on putting together all the graphics for the page. Um, but I'm totally deferring to their expertise when it comes to the funding goal and all the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Um, what it did happen, though, is when we kind of uh, started working together, they asked me sort of, what are some of the things you were planning for your stretch goals or anything, any ideas that you have that might be cool? And we kind of brainstormed a little bit and we came up with most of the stretch goals that we have planned now 
in that sort of conversation. Are you kind of going for aesthetic stretch goals or are you going for gameplay? Oh, you can't answer. But, mm. okay. Are you... T- I mean, are you looking... Have you looked at both kind of things? Are you trying to look with kind of like more of an aesthetic kind of increase in the quality of the components? I can say there's, there's both, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there are new playable pieces that will be added to the game as a result of stretch goals mm-hmm. but then there's also just like experiential quality upgrades that will be made that will just make it much nicer yeah yeah because mm-hmm. i think it's getting that balance because i know that there's there's been campaigns that have come come under fire from kickstarter backers to say well it looks to me like you've just carved a chunk off this game so you can kind of have it as a stretch goal or as an ex, you know as an expansion to the game or something like that, um, and I think a lot of because of the money side of things, a lot of first time creators have a tendency to go towards the quality of life improvements as opposed to kind of extra factions and extra characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we we've tried to kind of gravitate towards those stretch goals that people will be most excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there has to be a visual component to that, but also with the things that you can play with are a huge value add for people. So that's something we focused on also as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of um, the kind of the noise creation, mm-hmm. with with Skybound having the kind of the reputation, and obviously James having the reputation behind them as well, has that taken the pressure off a bit in terms of the kind of the noise creation side of things? Have you been able to say, well, okay, I, I obviously you're speaking to me kind of just now, um, mm-hmm. but has that meant that you've been able to, again, to kind of take their guidance and, and, and almost use a lot of their previous success to kind of help spread the word on kind of valor and villainy? Yeah, uh, it's absolutely given me a huge head start on spreading the word and marketing and all that. Mm-hmm. They're their work on that has been like so helpful and it's really allowed me to kind of focus on on creating this stretch goal content that is going to be really exciting for people so i'm even just now working on uh the ideas that we are hoping to add to the game throughout the campaign mm-hmm. um uh yeah so with promotion you never quite know when you've when you've done enough so i'm still sort of mindful of where i could be posting or where i could be uh, talking about the game with people or running it with people, uh, I'm still trying to do what I can. Yeah, I, 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 it's a difficult one because you don't know. You never know if um, you're reaching the right people or if you're reaching out to the people too often or maybe mm-hmm. too little. And then it's the whole um, kind of when you're going through the campaign, it's like, do I update now? Do I update later? Is this important enough to update? Is this not important enough to kind of update? Oh, kind of so thing that's all that yeah. kind of thing that I kind of you know as I say I've I've been I've been on the other side of the curtain and I only have complete respect for anybody um, that undergoes the this uh, madness that is the Kickstarter campaign to you know kind yeah that's yeah um, in terms of you personally um, with Skybound getting involved in kind of the arts, you know, the 
with different kind of games and, and obviously different designers and stuff like that. Has the art kind of thing raised raised question being raised about maybe you actually doing art for them as well? Or is that something you've got to be kind of careful of considering your, I guess, your day-to-day job? Uh, well, I can't really uh, say exactly, but we're enjoying working together on this and we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think... That's not a no. <laughs> it's not a no, it's not a yes. Um, That's a Justin Trudeau yeah. answer. Um. <laughs> I do I do work freelance uh, in addition to my day job, except oh, right, for right okay. now when I'm doing uh, when I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, exactly. But uh, yeah, in the future, who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've been really enjoying working together on this project, Skybound and uh, James Hudson and I. I mean, on the flip side, have you not thought about going back to your bosses and saying, guys, I know we're all mobile and gaming, but we should bring some cardboard to the table as well? Is uh, that it's, be- really just, it's really just not where the focus of, uh, of the company I work for is, so it would oh, be right. kind of just a big side tangent. And it's, it's kind of nice to have a project that, uh, like to have my work that I'm really excited about as my day job, but also yeah. to come home and kind of be able to unplug and put my efforts into something that's different yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I think, healthy. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, uh, um, it certainly looks um, kind of impressive. Anything that anything that is kind of like has good art, has um, a kind of a, a slight kind of hero questy vibe for it, I'm kind of, I'm a, a bit of a sucker for it. I'm kind of an all over it kind of thing. So <laughs> it certainly looks kind of appealing to myself. In terms awesome. of... In terms of it being out there, it's um it's going to be out, um it's going to be out this week. It's going to be out yeah. the twenty second. In um, two days, what's, as of our recording. As of our recording, <laughs> what's the what's the what's the price on entry? How uh, how much does it cost to get yourself to pledge for this little beauty? Yeah, it's going to be thirty nine dollars for the retail version, um, and then fifty nine dollars for the. Uh, deluxe version, and that's and US. Then, that's US dollars. That's not Canadian dollars. Yes, uh, I've that's just, right. I've just thought I'd check. Uh, I'm just actually going to double check that I didn't <laughs> say the right. wrong. Yes, I know. I just thought double check. You know, because it's like you know, because I I, um, I speak to um um sorry I speak to um Elsa Games Aaron at Elsa Games quite a bit, and he's um he's in Canada as well. So whenever mm-hmm. he's talking money, it's always about Canadian dollars, which is always fantastic because it always means it's a lot cheaper than you thought. Yeah. <laughs> it was Our weak be, Canadian dollar. <laughs> once you did the conversion rate, I'm like, yes, it's $105 Canadian dollars. That means it's £25 in the UK. Now, that's not true. That's an over-exaggeration, but it certainly makes my my bank manager feel yeah, we're- a lot better. In Canada, we're just lugging wheelbarrows of uh, of money to the store to get our milk and bread. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, going, oh, let me just, um, oh, have you seen this? This is a miniature from my game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> that I'm making as well as all. It's I use it as a paperweight for all the money I'm about to pay you for this for this kind of milk. Yeah. Um, it's exciting times, though, because as I say, you've gone from being in a situation where you were self-publishing to um, going in partnership in Kickstarter with one of the kind of uh, more exciting kind of game companies out there at the moment. They seem to be kind of hitting it out of the park. Um, yeah. 
have you already got is um, baby number two kind of gestating in mm-hmm. a notepad near you then? Yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm really hoping that uh, if Valor and Villainy goes well, that uh, the next game would be an expansion. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, a lot of cool ideas for what that would be. Uh. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What about other games as well? I mean, have you thought about kind of, have you got a little miniature skirmish game, you know, <laughs> yourself? Uh, Is that on the cards or anything like I, that? I just like woke up in the night with an idea that I jotted on a piece of paper the other day. <laughs> it was uh, basically a world where the robots have fully taken over and they've outlawed cars, except for that there's this band of like car mechanics who are disgruntled now that they've lost their jobs and they're going on a joyride smashing robots. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> you have to make that kind of happen. That's definitely a game. I always wake up with the same message written on a piece of paper, which is, you're a fraud. That's all, that's all I get oh. all the time. It's just my, you know, it's like, that's what ran through the, the Kickstarter campaign. It's like, mm, this is actually happening and it's a thing. Um, in, in terms of... Okay, I've got a final question for you. Okay. Well, obviously, it's going to be... The campaign's going to be running... Is it Okay, is it going to be running for like... Um, is it usual 30 days? Or is it going to be like a... A kind of a 20-day special. Which 24 days. So it's in 24. between. So it's running from the 22nd <laughs> of January to the 15th of February. So in other words, what you're saying is um, potentially if your um, husband, wife, partner, other half really loves you, they're going to get you valor and villainy for a Valentine's present. That's what they'll get you for the... Oh, Yeah. <laughs> it's the, yeah. it's the love. Pl- you have to have a a level called the love pledge. Oh yeah, for so that well, everybody can get it for their significant others. Yeah, exactly. Get them, oh, yeah. get them something that they love, and you'll have like a little special love spell in it. Make it happen, James. You're an artist. Couple of hearts, <laughs> couple of spells. Do you know what I mean? Makes that makes it. That's your charm spell for making the enemies kind of work with you. Make your enemies yeah. instantly fall in love with you. There you go. Write that down. Write that down. The love Stretch potion. The love potion. There you go. Special for Valentine's Day. And it'll get <laughs> unlocked as a last stretch goal. You know. There you go. I feel just, like Valentine just, and Villainy or something. There's got to be a way I can work Definitely that. has to yeah. be. That has to be the title. Promise me you'll make me that a title as one of the updates on Kickstarter. Even if you don't mention me ever again in your life. Make that, just make <laughs> I'll that, consider make that, that happen. Thank you. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, if this, um, you know, if this becomes something that you're going to move into kind of on a full-time basis, um, and say Skybound sit you down and say, James, we're really impressed with everything that you've done, that we are going to give you the keys to the cardboard vault. So they take you downstairs and in the cardboard vault, there's any games that you could ever, ever want. First editions, second editions, new games, old games. And they said, James, pick three games and they're yours. Okay. What three games would you pick if you could have any games at all? Whoa. Uh, okay. Well, Hero Quest and all its expansions. 
Yeah, of because obviously. it's basically a rare collector's item. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. I would pick the original, like very first printing of Dungeons and Dragons, and all those handbooks. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Because uh, their artwork is super fun. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see it. I have not, but I will check it. I will definitely check it out. It's a very like old school art style. It's black and white kind of pen and ink stuff, but it's really it's really fun. Um, and what would my last choice be? Third one's a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> well, any any game at all. Probably Mantis of Madness because I've played it a few times now and it's amazing, but I don't have it yet. That's fair. That's a good call. That's fair mm-hmm. enough. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, and I hope Skybound open the cardboard safe and they give you, yeah. <laughs> give you those games. That'd be nice. Um, if people want to keep an eye on you on the internet webs, mm-hmm. where do you exist on the internet webs? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter um, as at Valor in Villainy. So that's Valor, letter N, Villainy. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. I have Valor and Villainy's page on Facebook. And uh, you can also find me on Board Game Geek to follow my creations. Um, yeah. Cool. And then minionsofmordak.com or valorandvillainy.com will both take you to the webpage that gives you all the information about the game. And what I'll do is obviously we'll get the Kickstarter link from you as well. Sure, yeah. And we'll make sure that that goes into the show notes so that we have uh, notes to show. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on, sir. This has Yeah, been, thank you for having me. This has been a, this has been a pleasure. Um, for people who are interested in keeping an eye on what we are up to, go to the internet webs, search for We Are Not Wizards. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and we've got our website which is wearenotwizards.com and our blog which is wearenotwizards.blogspot.com you can find us on Instagram at wearenotwizards you can find us on you can email us magic at wearenotwizards I am aware of the irony of the address that's why I chose it you can find us on all the podcast catchers your stitchers, your speakers, your acasts and everything like that um, I was going to make a joke and say if you missed the kickstarter campaign um for ourselves then late pledges are open it's like don't be silly I'm just already embarrassed myself about it I'm not going to embarrass myself anymore but um, if you have liked what you've listened to tonight there's two things you can do the first thing is uh, tell somebody you know say ah what are you doing I was listening to a podcast last night uh, is it good uh, lie to them and say it is and then <laughs> force them to listen to it you know send it to people I don't know things stuff you know or the other thing you can do is if you jump onto apple podcasts you can drop us a subscription if you jump on to even further into apple podcasts you can drop us a rating or a review and as we say um if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review then um don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed but don't give us one star because it makes us cry give us something in the middle like a five because it's, um, it's average and uh, we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, the rather fantastic James Van Nikirk 
who is going to be, as I say, Valor and Villainy, millions, minions of Mordak will be out by the time you're listening to that. Check out the show notes, click on the link, have a quick look. $39 for the normal base version, $59 for the deluxe version. Um, have a have a sniff, have a look at the art, because it looks and tastes wonderful. Um, there is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, James? We are not wizards, unless you're playing as the evil wizard. I don't, don't ruin it. <laughs> we're not wizards. <laughs> we are not wizards. Does it? It's okay. It's okay. It's not like you're just handing your sound file over to somebody who's going to edit you. Um, and the, and the second, and the second thing uh, is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from James. Say goodbye, James. Goodbye, everybody. And thank you for having me on, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Rollsixes.com And if you're in the market for something that has got some stunning artwork that looks very, very entertaining and fun to play and involves you going about with potential love potions depending on the stretch goals getting (laughs) unlocked, then... uh, Check it out. But until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.